I'm Connor Reed with words to that effect. How often have I said to you that when you've eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth? This is, as you may recognise, Sherlock Holmes, reminding Dr. Watson of his method of deduction, in this case in The Sign of Four. Throughout the Holmes stories, and in as many reincarnations since, and there have been a lot of them, the famous detective solves cases using precise, rational, scientific deductions. He's often confronted with the supernatural, like in The Hound of the Baskervilles, for example, when the central mystery seems to involve a spectral dog. But the answer, as every reader or viewer knows, will always be rational, as even the most casual Holmes fan will agree. If the solution to a murder is, uh, a ghost did it, well, we're just not in a home story anymore. And yet, as many fans are often surprised to learn, Sherlock Holmes's creator, Arthur Conan Doyle, was a spiritualist. He was a fervent believer in a movement which claimed to be able to communicate with a world of the dead. This seems strange. How could the creator of the ultimate dispassionate and rational detective believe in seances and table-tapping, mediums and spirits? How could Conan Doyle seriously believe, as he truly did, that fairies may exist? And he didn't just believe in all of this. He was one of spiritualism's most renowned advocates. He used his fame to travel the world and spread the word. He gave lectures in front of thousands of ardent believers and curious onlookers. And this was often in the face of strong opposition, even ridicule. In fact, what started out as a famous friendship between two great celebrities of the age, Arthur Conan Doyle and Harry Houdini, ended when the pair fell out over their conflicting beliefs in the truth of spiritualism. Now, this was all towards the end of Conan Doyle's career. So, let's go back a little bit. Who exactly was Arthur Conan Doyle? Well, for me, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle is unquestionably the greatest genre writer um, uh, that Britain has ever, ever produced. This is Professor Daryl Jones, Professor of English in Trinity College, Dublin, and the editor, most recently, of Arthur Conan Doyle's Gothic Tales. Looked at in the round, uh, this was somebody who made obviously very, very major contributions to, uh, to the field of crime writing and de- detective fiction. And, you know, he has a strong claim to being the greatest writer of detective fiction of them all. Uh, but he also made very significant contributions to, um, to, to historical fiction. He saw himself... Uh, wanted to see himself primarily as a as a historical novelist. That's what he where he thought his best work lay. He also wrote horror fiction, gothic tales of of, of various kinds. Uh, so so he he wrote a variety of these things. He wrote nautical tales, seafaring tales, adventure stories. Uh, he was a great um, writer of the British Empire. So it's pretty clear that Conan Doyle was a lot more than simply the creator of Sherlock Holmes even if that's always going to be his legacy. In fact, he had a very frustrating relationship with his most famous creation. He tried to kill Holmes off in the story The Final Problem, but there was such a public outcry, he was forced to bring him back again for further adventures. So the author and the detective remained tethered for the rest of Conan Doyle's writing career. Being the professional he was, Conan Doyle was fully aware that he could never just make Holmes a spiritualist, But on the other hand, he could and did use the huge sums of money he got for the home stories to fund his crusade for spiritualism. Now, this is a movement which needs a little bit more explaining. 
Well, spiritualism is is a major phenomenon uh, of the second half of the 19th century. Um, a new found or a resurgent interest in the in the possibility of another world, um, a spirit world, um, in the idea of the survival of the human personality after death. Uh, spiritualism taught that there was a there was another world out there um, uh, that was that was coterminous with our own and interpenetrating with our own. Um, that generally speaking, we 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 couldn't see it, although we could perceive it on occasion. Um, but only through the intercession of of mediums um, of of various kinds in seances and the like, could we have direct access uh, to the other world. Think of a seance today and you're maybe imagining a group of teenagers in a dark room trying to scare each other by spelling out messages on a Ouija board. But spiritualism in Doyle's time was huge, certainly not a fringe pursuit. It had widespread appeal for lots of reasons. For one, many believers and mediums were socially marginalised, women or the lower middle classes in particular. So it gave a lot of power to the type of people who were otherwise very excluded from the cultural life of the country. Then, while for some people spiritualism overlapped with or led to more esoteric beliefs in theosophy or occultism, for most people it just sort of worked with their Church of England or other religious beliefs. There's also an obvious appeal to a belief in life after death generally, and then especially during and after the First World War, where people were losing relatives and friends on a daily basis, it doesn't seem that unreasonable to believe you can connect with your husband, son or father who's been so tragically and abruptly removed from your life. Then there's the scientific side of things. Spiritualism had a lot of high-profile supporters, as well as public figures like politicians and writers. There were also renowned scientists. People like the Nobel Prize winning physiologist Charles Richet, or Alfred Russell Wallace, the co-discoverer with Darwin of the theory of evolution by natural selection. William Crookes, a pioneering chemist, was a particularly outspoken believer. I mean, Wallace and Crookes in Britain were a central part of the scientific establishment. They were fellows of the Royal Society. Now, obviously, lots of scientists were highly sceptical of communication with the dead, but it wasn't that outrageous. There was serious research into telepathy and other types of psychic communication at this time. The Society for Psychical Research was set up in 1882, and they investigated lots of different aspects of spiritualism. This was also a time when lots of other invisible, difficult-to-understand waves were being discovered. You know, radio waves, x-rays, radioactivity... It's not a huge leap to connect some of these with telepathy, communication with thought waves, and then communication with the dead. It didn't all seem that outrageous at the time. Then there's the fact that when Darwin published The Origin of Species, things changed. We could no longer see ourselves as unique, but as a tiny part of an unfathomably complex system of evolution, taking place over hundreds and hundreds of millions of years. It's no accident, I don't think, that the spiritualist movement begins at around the same time uh, that Darwin publishes The Origin of Species. And it's been suggested that the, the greatest Victorian reaction to scientific materialism, uh, to, the, to the cultural and psychic shock, um, uh, the crisis of faith 
that certainly was brought on in the wake of the publication of The Origin of Species in 1859, the great response to that is not atheism or agnosticism, um, it's spiritualism. So, while Conan Doyle only really started advocating for spiritualism in the last two decades of his life, and he died in 1930, he was always intrigued by its possibilities. He wrote ghost stories and gothic tales, and he had a clear interest in the supernatural throughout his career. I mean, there are great literary possibilities in the supernatural. And he wrote some really great gothic stories in his early career. This is happening at the same time as he is making a, a career for himself um, as, as, a, as a doctor, as a general practitioner. Um, uh, he wants to be a, a, an ocular surgeon at one point, an eye surgeon. And, you know, I think this is an interesting choice of... Uh, a medical specialism for for, for for somebody like Doyle, uh, for whom you know the notion of the evidence of your eyes, the things that you can believe with having seen them with your own eyes, is very important because this is what gets him into trouble many years later uh, uh, when he um, gets involved in the case of the Cottingley Fairies uh, in the nineteen twenties. You know, he's, uh, these these reproductions of uh, what what appear to be um, uh, um, fairies and photographs. Um, Doyle is believes that photographs, and he's also a, a keen photographer, and believes that photographs are um, utterly accurate representations of reality. Um, and if there are photographs of fairies, uh, that means there must be fairies to photograph. Um, and so, it's it takes him a long time to get to that position, but he's developing an interest in the supernatural throughout his life. The Cottingley Fairies incident brought him a lot of ridicule. I mean, the photos were actually taken by two young girls and were much later revealed to be basically just cutouts of fairies taken from a magazine. But this didn't stop Conan Doyle in his investigations and promotion of spiritualism. He spent the last two decades of his life as a central figure of the movement. One of the things you have to remember about him is that he was not a man given to self-doubt and self-questioning. Uh, he, was a, he was a confident, authoritative public figure, much given, in fact, to making confident public statements and pronouncements on a wide variety of subjects. Um, and, you know, in some ways there's something very appealing about this, that we always know what Arthur Conan Doyle thinks, and he himself never seems to be in two minds. Uh, And so he's not in two minds about spiritualism either. Uh, It's real, it's happened, it's happening. This is the, as he says, this is the most important development in human belief since the death of Christ. Part of these public pronouncements on spiritualism was his fiction, and he wrote spiritualist fiction. His most famous character outside the home stories is Professor Challenger, who's this great sort of brilliant but pompous and quick-tempered scientist who first appears in a book called The Lost World. This, this is a great novel. It's the book that gave a name to that whole subgenre of stories where, you know, explorers stumble upon lost worlds, cut off from the outside world, generally dinosaurs or other strange creatures. Without the lost world, there'd be no Jurassic Park, for example. And what sort of world would that be? So by the end of the third installment of the series, Professor Challenger, the greatest scientist in the world, has been converted to spiritualism. But the book, and it's called The Land of Mist, is awful. I mean, all of the best things about the Challenger stories and about 
Conan Doyle's writing generally are completely overwhelmed by his desperate need to convert the world to spiritualism. But this book was really important to Conan Doyle. He was seriously concerned that he might die before finishing it. What's interesting about The Land of Mist is that Conan Doyle has gone full circle. Some of his best supernatural short stories in his early career involved ghosts, but by The Land of Mist there's a whole section which is basically a ghost story. But this is now a real ghost, and Conan Doyle has a documentary appendix outlining what he was basing the story on, how there was evidence for ghosts like this one, and and so on. So he's gone from a classic ghost story to a story about a ghost of the type he genuinely believes exists. So where does that leave Arthur Conan Doyle today? He's always going to be the guy who wrote Sherlock Holmes, and, and you know, with every every generation brings with it a new iteration of Holmes. We have we have a, a dominant one at the moment in in Benedict Cumberbatch's. It's hard to imagine what Conan Doyle's legacy might have been had he not converted so publicly to spiritualism, especially his reputation around the time of his death. And there's certainly no question that Sherlock Holmes is his legacy. But there's so much more to Conan Doyle. He's a fascinating writer with an incredible range. And if you know how spiritualism informs his thinking, you'd start seeing it everywhere. The Hound of the Baskervilles ends with the mystery of the phantom dog uncovered. It's not, of course, a spectre, but a real dog. The truth is uncovered. But for Doyle, the real truth of the world had been uncovered. He had eliminated the impossible, and what remained, however improbable, was spiritualism. That's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. If you missed last week's episode on fake news and William McHugh, or you want to know why Arthur Conan Doyle was one of a select group of famous authors at a secret meeting at the outbreak of World War I, then go check out episode one. Episodes are released every two weeks, so if you want to make sure you never miss out, then please subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave a review. It would be amazing. I don't want to give too much away, but the next episode will explore why we hardly ever find dinosaurs or aliens in the West of Ireland. Special thanks this week to Daryl Jones. Uh, Professor Jones has just released an edited collection of Conan Doyle's Gothic Tales, which gathers together some of his best stories and includes a great introduction. Links to the book are available at the Words to That Effect website, which is wttepodcast.com. That's wtte, as in Words to That Effect, podcast.com. All the music this week was by the breathtakingly good Come On Live Long. The music you heard was from their first album, Everything Fall, and they've just released a brand new album, which I've been repeatedly listening to on Spotify. It's great. I strongly recommend you go check them out. Links are on the website as well. So for more details and links to everything, head over to wttepodcast.com. There are also articles posted there throughout the weeks on topics relating to the most recent podcast. So there are ones up now on Dracula and spy fiction. Go have a look. And finally, I knew doing this podcast would take a huge amount of time, but it turns out it takes an absurd amount of time. So if you like what you hear and you want to support the show, there are a few very simple things you can do. Firstly, tell a friend. Just pick, you know, one friend who you know would like the show and tell them about it. If you do just that, I would be incredibly grateful. Otherwise, spread the word on social media. I'm at CEDREAD, C-E-D-R-E-I-D, on Twitter, and the show is on Facebook as well. You can also leave a review on iTunes, as I say. That would be amazing. Reviews really help so much with rankings and getting the word out there. Or you can take the next step and support me on the crowdfunding website Patreon, 
you can make a very small donation to help me make the show even better. There's been such a good response to the show so far. I'm really excited to put as much time as possible into it. So there are some great rewards on Patreon for different levels of support. So have a look. It's at wtdepodcast.com forward slash support. So that's it for this week. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Oh,